Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm the founder, Jennifer Palmer. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Terry M. Brown as our guest host. Terry is an author herself and is considering if a podcast of her own is a fit for her. Until then, we're happy to have her with us. Terry's guest is the CEO and senior consultant of BTR Impact LLC, a consulting and training company focused on helping leaders define success on their terms so they can live fulfilled, meaningful lives with impact and not lose their faith, their families, or their health. His work experience includes serving in the U.S. Army as a combat medic, corporate training facilitator, and organizational development leader. He has led in combat zones and corporate offices, learning the ins and outs for building teams and trust through servant leadership. Since 2015, Jerry has been the host and producer of Beyond the Rut podcast, a show that shares encouraging stories and practical advice to help pull listeners out of their ruts and into lives worth living. It's not enough to get out of a rut. He wants you to live beyond the rut. Jerry currently lives in Dallas, Texas, enjoying the empty nester life with his wife, Olivia. They have two adult children, three cats, a dog, and no car loans. So today on Online for Authors, I would like to welcome Jerry Dugan. He is the author of Beyond the Rut, uh, Create a Life Worth Living in Your Faith, Family, and Career. Welcome, Jerry. Terry, thanks for having me on here. I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you. What is your book, Beyond the Rut? It started off as the manifesto for my podcast by the same name, Beyond the Rut. It's designed to bring together all the lessons learned from that show. As we're recording this, is the eighth birthday of that show. Wow. Uh, and everybody we've interviewed, over 300 guests, have had the same pattern of where they felt stuck in life, even though they had all the boxes checked of what success looked like, the, the right relationship, the right number of kids, uh, the house with the picket fence, the pets, the cars, the salary, all they those. still felt stuck in a rut. And this book walks you through a three phase journey to recognize what that rut is that you're in, whether it's in your faith walk, your family life, your fitness, your finances, or just, you don't see any growth for your future. Uh, then from there, understanding where you do want to go in those areas of your life and then take action to get there. I walk you through uh, some practical steps to take to create some goals, to be successful in those goals, and to have consistent action every day to build that momentum to, to create that life that you feel is worth living in your faith, family, and career. So it's about having your cake and eating it too. You know, have the success in the career and have your family life and the healthy relationships. Fantastic. And you mostly seem to work with men. Do you feel that this book can help women too, or do you feel like its focus is solely on men? Funny thing, even though my target has been men, it's been a passion of mine. Uh, coming from a home that was broken, uh, not because my dad had run off and had an affair. Uh, my, my mom was the one who had done that, uh, and we've all healed from this, so they've given me permission to talk freely about this. One of the things I noticed with my dad was he didn't have the the internal courage to help everybody feel confident. But on the flip side, he had brothers who were womanizers and had multiple relationships as well. Lots of failed family type of experiences. I knew I didn't want that in life. That's where my whole passion behind Beyond the Red has come in. If I can help men just be the best version of themselves, you know, really look inward to, to make sure that they're 
attaching themselves to the things that will help them in their lives as far as character goes and letting go of the things that really don't serve us. You know, like the macho culture of manhood doesn't always serve us. Uh, In fact, uh, it's probably not the way to go when your daughter is crying and needs a hug and you're trying to be like, well, suck it up, drive on. You know, like (laughs) even when you're like three or four year old son scrapes his arm and just needs his dad to give him a hug, tell him he loves him. And, you know, it's not his fault. It's gravity um, and, and physics. He needs that tender person, not the warrior to come out. And and so that's the passion behind there. But to answer your question, can women get a lot out of this too? Absolutely. So even though that's my target, the reality is about 51 to 52% of my podcast audience is women. A good chunk of my guests have been women. And when I did my launch team, I had 100 people on my launch team and around 60 of them were women. So a lot of women behind this message, they love what it's about. Even when they know my passion is to help men be the best husbands, the best fathers they can be, while also getting the success we've been told is success. And so helping them redefine that. Women are 100% behind that, not just for the men, but to apply it for their own lives as well. Wonderful. That's what I, I hoped you were going to say, but <laughs> because when I read it, yeah, no, when I read it, I felt like that there was a lot of things that were very applicable to me. And then also as a mother with a son, I saw things that would be applicable to him. I have a husband, you know, I have, I have men in my life that, that I could see where this would go. So, you know, I felt like it was well-rounded. So I'm going to have stick on my reading glasses here for a moment because I'm going to read something from your book in one of the dedications in this book, it's to God. And it reads in part, when I made that deal with you in Kuwaiti desert on March 19th, 2003, that if I died, you would replace me with a husband who would love and cherish my wife and raise my children as if they were his own. I had no idea that your plan was for me to be my own replacement. That was so intriguing to me. Oh, man. Whew. And, and you you probably don't know it. And if you're listening instead of watching this, uh, Terry just opened up all the emotions just now, just by reading that. <laughs> uh, leading up to that point, uh, my parents had divorced when I was 11. Uh, at that time, we were living, my brother and I were living with my dad. My brother was nine. And uh, my dad got suicidal and here we are trying to prevent him from that. And so that was also that big driver behind, we got to be healthy in our relationships and we got to be aware of what's hurting us, what's helping us and and have that resiliency in our lives from 11 years old. Unfortunately, my dad did not succeed in attempting in, in his suicide attempts. Uh, and we moved back to California to be with extended family where he'd have that support, except while they were supportive for my dad, they weren't so much for the half breed chink slash gook slash uh whatever racial slur my white family could come up with um and they would try to discourage me from reading like uh why are you reading you know books are never going to get you a job you know why are you getting good grades in school you know you're just going to wind up on welfare like the rest of us uh why do you think you're better than everybody else and by age 14 i had enough of that i wound up fighting with one of my uncles i didn't win the fight uh, at least not physically, <laughs> uh, but as far as life goes, I, that was my moment where I drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to be in this misery driven world. And by Christmas time, I wrote a vision and it was, I want to be the first in the family to go to college and graduate. I want to be the first to, in a long while, to get into a marriage and stay there and be the kind of husband that my wife would want to be around. Uh, I want to raise my children in a way that my children want me in their lives and not just their lives, but in their, 
uh, their children's lives. Uh, so I want to be that kind of person where they want me around because I'm bright, I'm bringing value to them. I wanted to change the name. We were, the, we were the family that was known by local police. Like, Hey, they got shoplifters in that family. Watch them when they come in. I wasn't one of them, but when you're hanging out with the cousins who are known for that, you get followed too. Um, so that was my vision. I wrote it on Christmas cards. I gave it to everybody I could in the family with the money I earned for mowing lawns. And part of the family loved it. They're like, thank you. We need this kind of encouragement. And the other half was like, who do you think you are to, to say you're better than us? Like, is this life not good enough for you? And I'm like, this life isn't good enough for any of us. <laughs> like, this has to change. Um, and so I just, I pushed on. I wound up going to college. I barely graduated. That's why I joined the army because I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but you can't get into med school when your GPA is a 2.1 barely. Um, and I, I, I did a pre-test for the MCAT. I did not do so well. I was like, I have to go back to school and I'm broke <laughs> and I want to travel. I'm done going to school. And that's where the army came in. The army would uh, pay me to get trained, would give me medical experience and I'd get to go to places like Germany. And uh, so I signed up for the army. Uh, a year later, I met uh, a soldier named Private and First Class Morales, and I was told since I'd just come from Kosovo, I need to tell her everything I learned in Kosovo. And I thought she was cute, but everything I knew, I, I took four. It took four days to teach her. I was like, "Dang it!" So basically, I was learning. We didn't have a lot of internet access at the time, but correspondence courses. I was learning stuff just to keep her in conversation with me in this assignment I had. Uh, three months later, I finally asked her out. She says, what took you so long? I, and I said, what do you mean? She said she'd been dropping hints for three months. So the same amount of time I was like just stalling this assignment and, and stretching it out. Turns out she had been dropping hints. I, I asked her like, what? And she said, do you really think I cared about how to set up a field antenna in the middle of the night and to market with infrared chemical lights? I was like, you had me going for like an hour and a half on that topic. She goes, yeah, because I thought you were cute. I don't, I don't <laughs> ever expect to set that thing up. And uh, I was like, oh, so we could have like stopped doing this old army talk a long time ago. She said, yes. Uh, so anyway, we've been married 22 years now. We've had two kids. Uh, so that's kind of the background. So that moment, uh, March 19th, we're getting our final briefing before the war kicks off where the third infantry division would go into Iraq. Uh, and we, we'd heard that the air force and the Navy had already started their, their campaign of bombing on Baghdad. Uh, and we even got word that, uh, the Marines had taken off early to Basra. Now the Marines I run into say that they were told the army took off early. So that's why they <laughs> took off when they did. Somebody's right. I don't know who, cause I wasn't that high up to know. However, you know, scud missiles are flying overhead and, we were told, get into your chemical suits. So we're switching out from our regular uniforms or desert camouflage uh, because those chemical suits are hot. They're going to add 10 to 15 degrees of body heat to us. And this is going into summertime, springtime. So as I'm changing, I'm looking around and, and there's, I was like 27 years old at the time. And I'm surrounded by people who are like 19, 20, 21. And they look scared. They, they look like we're going to jail. We're doing something wrong. We're going to die. You know, it's just, this isn't like the movies. This isn't glamorous anymore. This isn't, you know, paid vacation anymore. And I noticed they were scared. And, uh, and I also noticed that some of the older guys were doing like in the movies where they swap letters, like, Hey, in case I die, die, send that to my wife. Um, and then you even heard like the cliche baloney, you'll send it yourself or you, you'll, you'll tell her yourself, you love her. Um, and I was like, and, you know, I got to write one of those just in case I die, but I couldn't, 
just hand it to somebody because morale was already kind of on edge and I'm the medic for my platoon. And the last thing they need to know is that the doc is expecting to die as well, or thinks he could die because he's our immortality. And if he dies, we're toast. So I had to write my letter home, but I couldn't freak out my wife. So I just wrote it in a way that she knew I loved her, uh, that I do love her, that I love her son. And I love her daughter who wasn't yet born. Uh, I think she was about, ah, gosh, we had just found out about her in January, right? When I deployed. So she's like five, six months in development kind of thing. Um, so she wasn't born yet, but I wanted them to know that I love them and have that snapshot of this is who I am without them, you know, having any of that language, like in case I die and so on. I'm in my chemical suit now. I've got my battle gear. I'm going through my aid bag, making sure everything's fine. And at this time, I was not a Christian. I was not a religious person at all. I was like, I was the guy that would try to get you into conversations about, I probably could have led with this. <laughs> I was that guy that would like try to talk you out of your religion in a sense or tell you like, you know, you really ought to read more than one book. I was that guy. And I was just kind of going through my checklist. All right. I, I wrote my letter home just in case. I'm in the right uniform. I got the right gear on. My aid bag is stocked to the full. My my equipment is ready. My weapon is clean. All I got now is time to kill until it gets dark and we start our mission. And I don't know why, but I just thought I still hadn't covered all my bases. Like, you know, I, I learned my first day of medic training when I was at Fort Sam Houston. This is in 1999, I believe. No, no, 2000. Yeah, 1999. And they take you to this museum. It's like the combat medic museum at Fort Sam Houston. And, and you finish the tour at this little theater and you learn about the history of how the combat medic became the combat medic. And one of the things they let you know is that the combat medics have the most posthumously given awards than any other job in the U S army. And I'm like, I'm remembering this now the day we're about to go into Iraq. Uh, and I'm like, I have the job that has the most posthumously given awards than any other job in this, this organization. Oh, that sucks. Um, oh, on top of that, I'm the short timer. I was supposed to get out in June, but I just got stop lost. And in all the war movies I've ever seen, who dies? The short exactly. timer. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who knows he's going home, he's got orders right. in hand. He, just, he has to live two more weeks and he's going to be right. fine. Right. Um, except I was supposed to go home a month ago and that stopped because of the stop loss order from the president. And so like those two come together. I'm the medic, which has the most posthumously given awards. I'm a short timer. And on top of that, I know what my fate has been in every training exercise I've done in the army for the last four years. I died uh, because I'd run into the gunfire. It, it was all training, but you know, I'd always get God gunned or with the laser by, by the observers, or I actually would get blown up by somebody. And I'm like, ah, I'm dead. I'm not going to make it home. So, I was like, well, I, I guess the only thing left is, and I, I just said, God, if you're real, uh, you will replace me with somebody who will love my wife better than I did and will raise my two children as if they were his own. And that's all I got for you. And that was it. Like, I didn't know that was a prayer, uh, but my friends in church circles and men's ministry since were like, dude, you said a prayer. You didn't say amen. You were an old holier than thou art, but you essentially opened a conversation with God. You said, if you're real, you will do this. 2007, I'm leading a men's Bible group. And for some reason, we're in the book of Romans and we're talking about being a new creation. And my pastor's dad was there at the group because I guess he felt 
I needed the help to, to run this group. Uh, which was fine. <laughs> to get that mentorship was awesome from him. Uh, Bill Cornelius Sr. They're talking about new creation, new creation this, new creation that. While I'm listening to them, that prayer popped into my head. I will replace you with a husband who will love your wife better than you did and raise your children as if they were his own. Have you not been doing that? And I was like, oh my, and I just started crying right there at that table. And it was just that realization that that was my first prayer to get to know God, to have that relationship with him. So then yeah, I go through the war, come home and I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't die. So I guess I don't have to worry about any deals with God or anything like that. Um, I, again, not realizing that was a deal I had made and we come home. We're at Fort Benning, Georgia. It's like two in the morning. We're marching off the buses into this gymnasium. Our families are there in the stands. They're cheering. The third infantry band is playing uh, proud to be an American. And as soon as we walk in the door, uh, they switch over to our division fight song, which is I wouldn't give a bean to be a fancy pants Marine, rather be a dog face soldier like I am. So th those are the words. They're ingrained mm -hmm. in my head because we had to sing it every morning. Uh, but that's playing. So all that's happening in my head. Reunited with my wife. I meet my daughter for the first time. I re introduce myself to my son because now he's two but now he can remember things and he's like who's this guy <laughs> and uh and my mom had come down with her her husband uh my, my stepdad uh davis and they came down from north carolina and my brother came over somehow oh yeah because he helped olivia drive over from texas uh to be there we had a reunion and then we go in two separate cars we're driving home and on the way home olivia asks hey can i tell you something and do you promise not to get mad and I'm thinking right away, I'm thinking to this briefing we had from our chaplain before uh, we got back on the planes to come home. And, and he said, how many of you are married? And, you know, a good chunk of us raised our hands. All right. How many of you married men are expecting to see the money you earned tax-free here in the combat zone when you get back? Everybody's hands stayed up, except for like guys who'd been deployed and knew better. Like you saw a few hands come down. He said, all right, everybody just put your hands down. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the expectation here none of you are going to have any of those thousands of dollars sitting in the bank waiting for you when you get back uh, if you're married you've got kids that money went to good use to support your family and, and support your home so what you're going to find is an empty bank account and either a a house full of new furniture or b she got a new boyfriend uh, we would nickname the boyfriend Jody. So uh, if if it's a new home filled with furniture and outfits, you hug your wife, you give her a kiss, you say, thank you so much for this. I'm glad to be home in our new home because they were trying to set this up for you and, and just enjoy that. Now, if Jody came along, walk out of the house as calm as you can, call up your buddy, then have your buddy call up me. We'll get together. We'll walk through this. Don't destroy the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> just get out of it. So, here's my wife telling me in the car ride, can I tell you something? And do you promise not to get bad? And I'm sitting there thinking, please let it be furniture. Please let it be furniture. <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, oh, hey, did we get new furniture? And she said, yeah. Uh, how did you know? I, uh, I hope you're okay with that too. I was like, oh my gosh, she had a boyfriend too. No, 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 no. <laughs> like that's going in my head. I'm like, but this is Olivia. She would not do that. You know, we, we got this promise. I trust her. There's no Jody. And, but I nervously asked her, so, so what is it? And she said, you know, how we were shopping for churches before you deployed. And I know you're not really into religion. 
but while you were gone, I'd been praying over you. And I was like, okay, cool. And she said, I made a promise with God that if he brought you back in one piece, I would make sure our family went to church. So now you're back, you're in one piece, and I have this promise I need to fulfill, and that's to bring our family to church. But I'm not sure you'd be okay with that. And I was like, oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> I, I thought there was a boyfriend involved here. And she was like, oh, no. I'm like, and so I realized I said that part out loud. And, and uh, I was, you know, euphoric still at the time. And I was like, well, you know, Dugans have to honor their their promises. That's that's very important to me. I can't have my wife be a liar. I can't I can't do a thing that's going to make her be a liar uh, in any respect of the word or not fulfill her promises. So, yeah, we can go to church. I don't see why not. And that started the church. Uh, like we didn't have a church to go to at all. She was like, all right, so uh, where do you think we should go? I'm like, I don't know. Cause we'd already tried a bunch before I left. Uh, but there was a new guy in our unit, uh, Daniel, his last name happened to be Morales as well, but they weren't related. And I was like, now I know he's like Mr. Church goer. Like he was more churchy than the pastor. Uh, but then again, the pastor, you know, advertised his services as the only a chaplain in the U S army who used real wine for communion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. You would have like a, a line wrapped around the tent that if you stretched out, probably would go on for a quarter of a mile. Definitely. Daniel was much more pious than, than our chaplain was. And, and so I just asked him and I was like, Daniel, you go to, to a pretty contemporary church. And he just lit up because you're saved. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but my wife wants to go to church. We've tried almost everything out. But I don't think we've gone to yours. Tell me about that. So we wound up going there. Very happy, very brightly lit. Our kids loved it. We joined a small group uh, and it took, and then we moved. I got out of the army. We moved to Texas. Yeah. From there, just took another year before I myself jumped in and, and just dove into this whole Christianity thing. And that's been since 2005. So all that from that one paragraph in that dedication. Well, and so I knew there was so much more to it. When I read that, it it caught me in the chest and I needed to know what happened. And the way that you put that, please replace me with someone who would love them as good or better than me at that. Instead, God turns you into that person. And I thought, wow, yeah. that is just, I love that whole thought. That was for my own curiosity. I just had to know what was behind all of that. <laughs> this book kind of came out of the podcast. So the podcast yes. is, is, I don't guess what came first. I don't know. Were you already doing some counseling, coaching with men? The three of us who started this podcast, Beyond the Rut, Sean, Brandon, myself, uh, we were all senior leaders in our church's men's ministry. So we okay. uh, we ran men's conferences for our church. We uh, were part of a 10-person or 12-person team that led small groups uh, for men. Uh, somewhere in the morning, somewhere on Saturdays, somewhere in the evening. Uh, and we would just get our hands on a study and simultaneously do this in all 12 groups uh, whenever we could. And other times we just kind of talked to each other, said, well, I want to cover this in my group. It's kind of a hot topic. And another guy's like, everybody wants to talk about pornography and how to control it. So we're not going to meet at the Mexican restaurant for a while. We're going to go to my house. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I'm, sure that'd be less awkward that way and uh, and i've been to his groups where he's done that and he would just throw a question out there and just look at everybody until somebody spoke up sean brandon myself uh we're all men's ministry leaders by then brandon had 
gotten picked up to be an associate pastor at another church. And he was just having the same questions asked him every single weekend. Hey, my job sucks. It's taking me and keeping me from my family, or it's making me have to take, you know, business leaders out to go to places I really don't want to go to. I need to make a change. However, we can't afford to lose this job. We can't afford to lose the company car. What do I do? You know, Brandon would just be like, well, the easy answer is your family's more important. Quit the job. God will provide. But that's up to you to decide. And you'd see them kind of walk away like, oh, man, I can't give up the company car. I can't give up the six-figure income. But it was just like the same questions over and over. How do I, how do I re-engage my spouse in this marriage? How do I help her feel loved? Uh, how do I get my kids to pay attention to me? They're middle schoolers, and you know, it's like, well, they're middle schoolers. There's your answer. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he was just like frustrated. Like he's answering the same things over and over and over every weekend. Can we somehow capture this in a way that you know we know men don't like to read? We know that from our men's ministry experience, which is why we would take a book. And then they would have me condense the book down into like one page study guides. So no man could use the excuse. Oh, I can't make it. I didn't read the chapters for the week. It's okay. We summarize it in four sentences and we'll read them there. <laughs> the, the group. Uh, and so we knew that, but we couldn't just take everybody's books and, you know, turn them into studies. But what if we had conversations around those same topics? And that's, that's how the podcast was born August 15th, 2015. It took nine months to get there. You know, it's just like three guys with three different ideas of how to approach it. And and we launched, yeah, August 15th, 2015 was the first episode. Uh, it started off with Sean and Brandon in the foreground talking to each other. And I was in the background as the producer. And then Sean stepped away and I slid into that spot as the co-host, as well as the producer. We went on for another four and a half, five years. And then Brandon realized He's got grandkids now, like five or six of them, and he would much rather hang out with them than hang out with Jerry and record episodes of Beyond the Rut. So uh, he he just turned to me and uh, said, Jerry, I don't have it in me anymore. I'd rather spend time with my family. And I said, that's what the show's about, that you would choose the right priorities in the right seasons of your life. And But for me, I'm not done. I just became an empty nester. I got a few more years to go before I become a grandparent, I hope. Can I carry the torch on? And he handed everything over, and that's been two and a half years. Yeah, revamped everything, rebranded, realized back on year one. So 2015, we had this goal to write this book. I hadn't done it, and my Christian podcasters group said, Jerry, you got to write that book. It's overdue. It keeps showing up in your heart. It shows up in your notes. It comes up every so often in this meeting. 2022, you got to get that book done. And it almost got there. It wound up launching it March, 2023. But part of that's because I left my day job in October, 2022. And um, yeah, I took the leap of faith, started my own company to do leadership development, got the book done, launched it. And here we are. There you are. In the podcast, you have kind of this other person, AJ, Avatar Joe. And so I'm a little curious about him. Like how much of yourself is in AJ, both who you are now, who you were, you know, in the past? And like, how did you come up with this idea of speaking to or about this kind of composite guy named AJ? Uh, The idea of an avatar I picked up from a podcaster named John Lee Dumas. He's uh, got a show called Entrepreneur on Fire. And he's one of the three courses I listened to on how to start a podcast back in like, 2013 2014 and and so he talked about this concept back then and the idea was that it's easier to niche down your topic and stay on topic for your audience when you could define your topic as a person 
and speak to that person's needs every time. You don't have to worry about like, what are people Googling? What are people um, trending with? If you know who you're trying to reach specifically, the topics come together and then you'll find that the Google searches and the Google trends do support the needs that the, your avatar has. So Avatar Joe, AJ, was really the result of a couple of weeks of arguing uh, amongst the three of us. <laughs> and it was because, like, you know, Sean would ask, you know, who is our avatar? Like, we have to have one. Who's our target audience? And Brandon would say, everybody, anybody who will listen, that is our audience. That's who we want to reach. We're just like church, in a sense, but we're not church. And Sean would reply. That's not how this works. If you want to really succeed in your business, you have an ideal customer. That's not your only customer. That's just how you really shape and form your identity as a show, as a business, as a brand. I remember I threw a couple of things out there and Brandon's like, yeah, yeah, them too. <laughs> and in the frustration, I was looking at the three of us and I realized all three of us have some kind of rut we're in. Like we all have good paying jobs. I, I know two of us had six figure incomes. Uh, it was the other two guys because I wasn't there yet. We were in leadership roles. We had the boxes checked. We were all homeowners. We were all married. We have kids, those kinds of things. Yet we all had our own internal struggles of where we felt stuck. You know, Brandon wanted to be a full-time pastor. Uh, Sean wanted to be a full-time writer. Me, I wanted to be a full-time speaker, you know, with some writing, but mostly speaking. And I'm looking at the three of us. And I'm like, the three of us are the epitome of what is going on here. And so in my frustration, I think I looked at Sean and I described him about 60% of the way before I shifted to Brandon and myself. And, and so I just described who we were, you know, like, you know, AJ is a 35 year old professional. He's a leader. Uh, he's really good at his field, married to his college sweetheart. He's got two kids in elementary school. One's about to go into middle school. He's got this great six figure income. He's got the two story house. He's everything that I'm describing initially about AJ is Sean. And then I start to pivot a little bit more and it's, you know, you know, Sean wanted to be a writer, but he was afraid to take that leap. Brandon was finally taking that leap to be a pastor. And I was nowhere near being a professional speaker, at least not outside of corporate America. And, and so then I started bringing those together. Now, by the time the book came out, uh, AJ was still mostly the original three of us composited together, but also a little bit of a flavor from other guests we had over time and people that, would share with us their frustrations. So we got another friend who he wants to be a published author. He says he's got nine books in him. I've known the guy for 15 years. He's published zero. And I'm sitting here thinking he could put one book out now, <laughs> right now. Right. right. Yeah. Just, he's got the notes. He's got it organized. All he has to do is just trust and pay an editor, a professional to look at it, pick it apart for him from there, tone it up and then hand it off to a cover design person and start getting all those pieces together and just put it out there. And there are companies that'll help you with all the logistical stuff. Exactly. And you, yeah. And, and he, he could oh, so easily do this, but then he gets nervous, feels he's not worthy. And it's the same thing that Sean, Brandon, and myself felt with our own areas. Yeah, that, that was kind of the driver behind AJ was, it was ourselves, mostly Sean, because I was arguing with him mostly at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but there is myself in there as well, especially in the book. The latter part of the AJ description is my own life. I just found that to be a very interesting concept because so I'm an author of uh, fiction and we're told, you know, like 
come up with who is your reader and you ask questions, you know, married and divorced and, you know, are they working? Are they stay at home? Are they like you have the whole thing? And so I have a composite of like three different women that I'm writing to. And so this idea of AJ was really interesting. In fact, I started to think that maybe I should create a name and just have one, like, yeah. you know, and call her, you know, Carolyn or something. <laughs> it was a very, very interesting idea. I liked that. Some things that you have in the book that I found really interesting. In chapter three, you titled it, You Are Not Alone. Why is it necessary, do you think, for people who feel stuck in a rut? to recognize that they're not the only one stuck. Like what, what benefit does it have for all of us to like throw our stories out there and tell people how messed up we are? Because it's very interesting. I know in the Christian circles, what we uh, tend to talk about is, you know, the devil goes after you and singles you out from everybody else. And that's when he gets you. That's when he tempts you to to follow these harmful paths and take you away from your your ministry uh, but if you also look at how a lion hunts when there's a herd in front of that lion, that lion goes after the weakest in the herd, the one that starts to fall back, the one that doesn't have a group of people coming to protect it. And if that singled out person from the herd or animal from the herd gets far enough away, the lion will pounce and kill it. And that's it. Squashed dreams in a sense. And the same thing goes if you feel stuck in a rut, we start to think everybody's doing fine. I, I can't have what they have, or why can't I have what they have? Or, um, you know, nobody understands what I'm struggling with, or I'd love to, but, and so it's that, yeah, but kind of dialogue going in our heads, uh, whether it's the product, the product of a comparison game or just, you know, taking a few losses and then taking that as truth, recognizing that we're not alone and, and sharing the stories that we've shared on beyond the rut, as well as the stereo- some of the stories that from the podcast, made its way into the book was to let folks know who are reading this, that you're not the only one who's felt stuck in life. You're not the only one who's felt trapped in a small town. Uh, the only one who's felt like your marriage was about to fall apart or uh, Ron Worley. Uh, apparently I loved his story so much that my editor had to tell me three times was two times too many to tell his story. Uh, <laughs> in the original manuscript, I apparently went gaga and fanboyed over ron worley the third um he's still a good friend he's still around and uh, i'm so excited every time I, I reach out to him and he reaches back and i'm like yes he's still alive because he's he's well past the five-year mark that his doctor told him he had left to live after a massive heart attack i met him in year six or at the end of year five somewhere in that that arena um but when you see their stories you can start to relate to them you know the 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 guy who was a young newlywed and you know never handled his anger well in any part of his life and having an argument with his wife and and punching a door that didn't go into the book but this is one of our guests Uh, and there he is laying on the floor bleeding of self-inflicted wounds right then and there and his his wife has taken off she's like i'm out peace um i don't have to stick around for this and and then him just realizing he hit rock bottom that you know, what was more important for him to, to be right and be in control or to, to have his life partner there by his side. And he just reached out and said, help. I'm, I don't know what to do. And for him, luckily she came back. He said he worked a lot. He went through so much counseling, so much therapy, lots of accountability. They had to kind of 
put the light on their lives so that other men could kind of keep an eye on him and say, all right, so how is this going? How is this going? How's this issue coming along? All right, well, we're going to verify that with your wife. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah, that's that's what's going on. And they were able to get the help they needed. They, they don't mean to be abusive. They don't mean to be controlling, but it's something they picked up from somewhere. And here's a chance you can work out. It doesn't mean your wife is the one who's got the job to get you out of there. In this particular guest's case, it was up to him. He asked for a little bit of help. He got it, but it was always up to him. And he he mentions that it was his choice that made the difference. It was his commitment. It was his responsibility. Uh, so that's one. Brandon's got short-term memory issues because he is a stroke survivor. But there's one guest that comes to him time and time again. And it's Eric Giuliani. That story stood out for him. So I had to get that guy in the book. Worked a dead-end job. Was tired of traveling to small towns. Just doing the same thing over and over. Quits his job. Travels the world for three years. You know, it's it's like, I want to travel the world. What would that take? I can't travel the world. I mean, I got a, I got a family to feed, mouths to feed. I've got a job. I can't quit my job. And it's like, this guy did it. And he, he, he wanted to be a photographer and did not know how to take photographs. You know, he didn't even own a camera. He, uh, I think I mentioned in the book, he showed up for a photography class. This is when, you know, it was still common to do things in person. He showed up to a photography class. Everybody around him had DSLR cameras, the fancy ones with extra lenses and so on. He had an iPhone five, I think it was. That was his camera. And the teacher said, that guy's going to probably do the best in this course because he's going to have to learn and apply everything I'm teaching to make his camera shots look like yours. That's why I I want people to know they're not alone. There's other people who've had similar struggles and they've climbed out of it. They've had similar situations. The resources available to them were similar. For whatever reason, they they themselves realized, I'm stuck in a rut. I don't like it. What is my rut? Ah, that's my rut. What do I really want to do with my life? Oh, I want to be over here doing this and helping people this way and have this kind of freedom. What does it take to get from where I am to where that is? Okay, that's it. All right, I'm going to take action. Oh, I don't have any money. Okay, well, how do I pull that off? And, and so like to hear those stories, hopefully people get ideas and and not just reinforce their negative talk, but realize that is negative talk. When I say, yeah, it worked for them, but that wouldn't work for me. It's like- As soon as you say, but- that's the exactly. negative part coming in, right? Exactly. Well, Jay, this has been wonderful. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you if they want to know more, or they want to get your book, or they want to be a guest on your podcast, or whatever? How do they get up with you? Awesome. The The best way is the website, beyondtherut.com. Um, and from there, you can go to everything, the social media, the blog posts, the podcast episodes, and so on. Um, oh, if anybody wants to copy of the audiobook version of beyond the rut uh beyond the rut.com slash audiobook i gave it away for free and uh stay in touch with you so there you go fantastic thank you so much this has been wonderful same here terry thank you wow terry jerry the conversation continues take in the next episode for the second half of this conversation thank you visibility pod for all your services and management of our podcast